Hi, I'm Stephen Apt, and here at Divine Savior Church, we believe that the message of Jesus truly changes lives. And so it's my prayer that as you listen to this message, that it does change your heart, uh, that it brings you peace and hope once again today. After you listen to it, if you wouldn't mind subscribing and liking, uh, we'd be grateful for that so that more people can hear the message of Jesus. Thank you. We're in the middle of this series uh, called Disciples, where we are looking at uh, the 12 disciples that Jesus called to himself to equip, to train, and to send out into the world to bring the gospel message, the spread of the kingdom of God. And what we've done through all this is we have seen just how relatable these disciples are to us. Uh, how, just how much we relate to the circumstances that they find themselves in. We relate to the questions that they have. We relate to the weaknesses that they have. But we also relate in the need of God's mercy, God's grace, and his compassion. And it's that same mercy and compassion that we see that we are receiving every single week. That the same mercy that Jesus had for them, the same grace, the same compassion, Jesus has for you and for me as disciples living in the 21st century. All of these disciples are relatable in, in some way, shape, or form, and yet Thomas, the one we're looking at today, uh, is, I think, relatable for every Christian at some point in their life. What is Thomas best known for? What's his nickname? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. It's a nickname that has stuck with him for thousands of years, Doubting Thomas, and that's what we know him as. Anytime someone brings up the disciple Thomas, our minds immediately go to, oh, Doubting Thomas. Yeah, he doubted. And yet, that wasn't always the case. <laughs> uh, in John chapter 11, it's towards the end of Jesus' life, uh, things had gotten so bad with the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders down in Jerusalem, that Jesus could no longer be down there. Because Jesus knew the Pharisees wanted to kill him. The Pharisees were trying to kill him. The people knew that they wanted to kill Jesus. And so Jesus left, and he went up north. And he and his disciples experienced a lot of ministry success. People were coming to Jesus. The disciples were growing. The number of people who followed Jesus. Uh, Jesus was very popular. He was doing all kinds of miracles. And then Jesus received news. Your friend Lazarus is sick and is about to die. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, let's go to him. The problem? Lazarus lived right outside Jerusalem, the backyard of the Pharisees. And Jesus says, let's go. And all the disciples are thinking, you're crazy. We're going to go right back where the Pharisees are. They want to kill you. We can't go there. And Thomas spoke up. And he said, let's go with him and let's die with him. Incredible boldness, incredible faith. Jesus is going, I'm going. Jesus is going to die, I'm going to die. That's incredible faith. And so what happened? How did Thomas go from such strong faith, I'm going to die with Jesus, to getting the nickname Doubting Thomas? So we're going to talk about today, uh, and we're going to look at, we're going to kind of walk through with these three questions. What causes doubts? How does Jesus handle doubters? 
And what brings us from doubts to faith? What causes doubts? How does Jesus handle doubters? And what brings us from doubts to faith? We're going to look at John chapter 20 uh, for our answers. And John chapter 20 is Easter evening. Jesus rose on Easter morning. It's now Easter evening, late at night. Uh, Jesus appeared to the women at the tomb. He's appeared to the Emmaus disciples. The disciples are walking uh, to the city of Emmaus. Uh, and now he's appeared to the ten, or, uh, ten disciples. Judas is no more at this time. He died. Thomas was not with the eleven when Jesus first appeared to them. It's Easter evening. Thomas comes back. Here's what we're told. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, Didymus means twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That first Easter evening, uh, we are not sure where Thomas was. We're not sure why he wasn't with the other ten when Jesus appeared. But he wasn't. He wasn't there. Uh, And so imagine the disciples Imagine the ten. Not only are you excited because you have seen the risen Lord, but now you can't wait for Thomas to get back. Thomas walks through the door, and I picture that all of the the disciples stand up, and all of them start talking at once. We have seen the Lord. You know how it is when you have exciting news. You just want to share it, and you can't wait, and someone walks in. Stop. Hang on. Listen to this. And they tell Thomas, And Thomas says, eh, unless I see him, unless I touch him, I will not believe. You guys saw him, great, you can see him. I'm not going to believe unless I see him and touch him. Now think of everything that Thomas has had so far. Thomas has had what? He's had the women who saw Jesus right at the beginning, right on Easter morning, come and say, we've seen the risen Lord. Thomas was there. He now has the disciples, who he knows probably better than his own family. For three years, he's traveled with these guys. He spent almost 24-7 with these guys for three years, and yet their testimony meant nothing to him. And on top of that, he had Jesus' own words. We're going up to Jerusalem, Jesus said. We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, talking about himself, He's going to be betrayed, handed over to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He's going to be uh, flogged. He's going to be crucified. But on the third day, he's going to rise from the dead. And Thomas says, I don't believe it. You know, Thomas, as we're talking, 
Thomas is not just doubting, is he? He's straight up unbelieving. He's in unbelief right now. He says, I will not believe that the Lord is raised from the dead. Why? What happened? The once great faith now is saying, I hear your words, I hear your testimony, but now I'm going to set up my own criteria that the Lord has to meet in order for me to believe. The words aren't enough. I need to see him. I need to touch him. And you guys who I know so well, you don't matter. The Lord must meet my demands in order for me to believe. What happened? Jesus died. Jesus died. And and what does Thomas know? It's the same thing that you and I know. No one comes back from the dead. Sure, Thomas had seen Jesus raise Lazarus. Sure, he saw uh, Thomas, or he heard, he didn't see with his own eyes, that Thomas, or that Jesus raised the sick girl who died. Yes, Jesus did that. But who's going to raise Jesus? Unless I see, I won't believe. What happened? A human experience and his human reasoning led to doubts which led to unbelief. It's your first point today. Human experiences and human reasoning lead to doubts. Something, he experienced something that his human reason couldn't mix with God's word and it led him to doubt and question God. And when doubts go unchecked, it leads to unbelief. There's a pastor named Matt Ewart who wrote a devotion on this section. And uh, he said that when he was a kid, he, he grew up hearing about doubting Thomas. And every year, right after Easter, he learned about doubting Thomas. And now that he's an adult, he said that he wishes he could give Thomas a different nickname. And it's Honest Thomas. Because at least Thomas is honest with the doubts that he had. And how many of us struggle with doubts just like Thomas, and yet we never open up and are honest about those doubts? Because if we're honest, Thomas seems pretty relatable, doesn't he? If we're honest, we've all had an experience that when we use our human reasoning to try to figure out what is going on, it doesn't line up with what we know about God's word, which leads us to doubt God's goodness, his justice, his love. The college student or the high school student who hears his whole or her whole life about God and how he wants us to live now is in the minority on campus and, and the non-Christians seem to have a pretty good life. They're enjoying it. They seem to be enjoying life with no real worries or concerns. And they're not strapped with all this, I have to do this, I have to do that. Is God's word really true? They don't seem to have a problem. Maybe God should prove his word to me. God tells us in his word not to worry. He says, do not worry, Jesus says. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. And yet, does he know what I'm going through right now? Because the last time I trusted him, it brought more hardships into my life. And the last time I said God will take care of it, it actually got worse. 
And so don't worry. Prove to me, God, that I shouldn't worry. Let's see it. God, you tell me that you're good. And yet, my friend, who's got a young family, dropped dead. God, how's that good? God, you say you're loving, and and yet my family member has gone through a long period of sickness and disease, and it's been immense suffering. How is that loving to make him or her go through that? God, you say you're good, and that you're my good, good father, and yet I went through abuse and have all kinds of trauma from when I was younger. How are you good? A human experience mixed in with human reasoning leads to all kinds of doubts. And if doubts go unchecked, what happens? It leads to the place where Thomas is at. Where Thomas says, I need to believe it in order to, I need to see it, I need to touch him in order for me to believe. We set up our own criteria. I'm not going to believe what the word says. I need proof. I need to see in order to believe. You see, Thomas is so relatable because we all have human experiences and those experiences lead us to all kinds of thoughts and we start reasoning and and we say, this doesn't make sense and it leads to doubts and eventually unbelief. And so the question is, how does Jesus handle doubters? A week later, after Thomas says this, think about that, a week. Jesus doesn't say, oh, Thomas needs proof. I'll give him 20 minutes and then I'll show up. He lets him wrestle with this for a whole week. And the following week, the disciples are in that same room and this time Thomas is there. And Jesus appears. And what's the first thing that Jesus says? Thomas, you fool! I can't believe you would doubt! Thomas, how long have I been with you? Don't you remember my word? Thomas, what is your problem? No. He stands among them. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Thomas, see my hands. Put your finger here. See my side where they stuck the spear in in my side? Put your hand in there. Stop doubting and believe. What does Jesus do? The God of this world, who just conquered the grave, who, who rose from the dead, condescends himself, humbles himself, and says, I'm willing to give you what you need, Thomas. Here I am. Touch. See. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus gives a doubting heart peace, and it's your second point. Jesus gives doubters peace. Sometimes I think it's, it's hard for you and me to express the doubts that we have uh, because what is the experiences in, that we have when we do express doubt? Uh, I think one of two extremes, right? Either one, when we express our doubts, the, the Christian doesn't know what to say, and so they just remain quiet, which doesn't help us with our doubts. It just kind of justifies our doubts. Or two, the other side is we express our doubts, and then the Christian feels that, We have to prove you wrong, and so it becomes an us-versus-you type thing instead of just walking with them. And what does Jesus do? 
He stands among Thomas, among the disciples. Peace be with you. Jesus welcomes the doubters. He welcomes the questions. And what does he do? He doesn't snuff it out. Isaiah 42 uh, is a great chapter. Uh, And in that chapter, uh, there's a verse that says, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Do you ever feel like your faith is smoldering? Do you ever feel like doubts are creeping in and your faith is just barely a flicker? Jesus says, I'm not going to snuff you out. Come to me. Come to me. I'm not going to snuff your, the, the faith out of you. Instead, what am I going to do? I'm going to fan that flame back up. How? By giving you peace. And what kind of peace does Jesus give? In John chapter 14, Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. So it may not be circumstantial peace. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 16 says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. What kind of peace does Jesus give them? It's a peace of a Savior who knows exactly what you're going through. Jesus knows what a human experience is like that just shakes you to the core. He knows what it's like for the devil to be there tempting him to doubt God's love and goodness. And I'm sure that's what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before Jesus dies, he's in the garden, and he knows exactly what's coming. He knows that that later that night, uh, the guards are going to come and arrest him. He knows the next day he's going to be on the cross. He knows that he's going to pay for sin, and in order to pay for sin, he has to endure hell itself. Not just a hellish experience, hell itself. And so he's praying in the garden, and he's under such pressure that he's sweating, and his, uh, his sweat is drops of blood because he's so tense. And he prays, Father, if there's any other way, take this from me. Not my will, but yours be done. And God said, there's no other way. You must suffer hell to save the people. And I'm sure the devil was there tempting him. Are you sure your father's a good father? Are you sure he's loving? Look what he's making you do. Fast forward to the next day when Jesus is on the cross. And there came a moment where he he took responsibility for every sin of the world, that despite him being a perfect the perfect son of God, he took responsibility for the sins of the world and what had happened. God turned his back on him. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You talk about a human experience that just shakes you to the core and I'm sure the devil was there saying, see, I told you he's not good. He's not loving. And yet Jesus never stopped trusting. How do we know? Because just moments later, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He never stopped trusting. He never doubted God's goodness or his love. He trusted him perfectly. Why? For you and for me. So that you and I have peace with God. So that you and I have the forgiveness of sins. So that you and I know that in this world we, help, we will have trouble, but we can take heart because our Savior Jesus has overcome the world. That the human experiences that we face in this world are not our end. The grave is not our end. 
But we will be with our good, good God forever because our Savior has reconciled us to God. When we go through those human experiences and and the devil is there chirping at us, trying to get us to doubt God's goodness and his love, where do we look? The cross. Because there we see God's goodness. There we see God's love for you and for me. Because how much does he love you? He gave up his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus knows what you're going through and he's given you peace, peace with God to know that the God of this world is for you, not against you. That the God of this world has won eternal life for you. That yes, we will have trouble, but we have eternal life with our God forever through Jesus. You see, Jesus doesn't excuse our doubts. He welcomes us, but he doesn't say, it's okay that you're doubting. No, what does he do? He doesn't excuse our doubts. He lives the perfect life we were to live, perfectly trusting in our place. He doesn't excuse our doubts. He was forsaken on the cross to forgive us for our doubts. He doesn't excuse our doubts. He buried them in the tomb, and he rose from the dead so he can uh, come to you and me and say, peace be with you. You have peace with God, even as you're going through the doubts. He comes to you and says, come to me, and I will bring you from doubt to faith. But how does he do it? How does he give us this peace so that we go from doubt to faith? Because maybe you've had it, but I've never seen Jesus. He's never stood in front of me and said, here, touch my hands, put your hand into my, into my side, stop doubting and believe. He did for Thomas, but he hasn't done that for me. And I'm guessing he hasn't done it for you. So how does he do it? How does he take us from doubt to faith? Your last point. The Word, the Bible, leads us from doubting to believing. What does John say in verse 31? These are written, the Scriptures, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's it. He's given us the Bible. How come I can't be like Thomas and, and, and see? That would really convince me. No, it wouldn't. And you know how I know? Because seeing didn't convince Thomas. Uh, Jesus is standing before him. And what does he say to Thomas? Stop doubting and believe. In the Greek, it's in present form, meaning that Thomas, as he's actively seeing Jesus in the moment, he's seeing Jesus, he is still doubting. What convinced him? It wasn't the sight of Jesus. It was the words that Jesus was speaking. Come, see my hands. Put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. It's the words that came out of Jesus' mouth that convinced him, that brought him to faith, that led him from doubting to believing. And that's what you and I have in the Word of God. We have got Jesus' words. We've got God's Word that brings us from doubting to believing. We have everything we need right here in God's Word. This is why Jesus said, Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And like I said in the children's devotion, how wonderful is it that when Jesus spoke those words 2,000 years ago, he's talking about you and me, who have not seen and yet believe. And how do we believe? 
because of the word of God, which takes us from doubting to believing. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so I want to give you a to-do as you leave here today. In January, we're going to do a series on the Gospel of Mark. There are 13 weeks from uh, the week after Christmas until Easter Sunday. There are 16 chapters in the book of Mark. And so for the next 16 days, read the book of Mark. Read a chapter a day in the book of Mark. Walk with your Savior. Listen to his words. Write down your observations of your God, of your Jesus. Write down your questions. You can send them to me if you want. But walk with your Savior for the next 16 days in the Word. Don't worry about what you don't understand. Focus on what you do understand. And as you do, He will bring you from doubting to believing. He will take those doubts and calm those doubts and fan that flame back up. Because a bruised reed He will not break. And a smoldering wick He will not snuff out. May the Lord be with you as you grow in His Word, as you go, as you walk with Him in the Word. As He says, peace be with you. Come, those who are weary and burdened with doubt, and I will give you rest, peace for your soul, which comes only through Jesus, and we find it in the Word of God. Let's pray. Gracious Savior, you're not afraid of our doubts. You're not afraid of our questions. Uh, instead, uh, you welcome us, and you say, peace be with you. The peace that transcends all understanding uh, only comes through you, and it's because through you comes peace with God. We thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for trusting for us perfectly so that we have that perfect record before our God. We thank you for burying those doubts in, in the tomb and that you have shown yourself to all the people in the New Testament uh, that you uh, are alive. We thank you for that and we have all that we need in your word. We thank you for preserving your word. Uh, we thank you for giving it to us and now help us to grow in it uh, that our faith may be strengthened, that we go from doubting to believing uh, because that's what your word does. We thank you for uh, the peace you give us. Let us live in that peace. Let us go in that peace. And let us grow in that peace now and forever. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message today. It's my prayer that uh, it has changed your heart as you grew in the message of your Savior, Jesus. Again, if you wouldn't mind liking and subscribing, we'd be grateful for that. God bless your day.